extra special listeners for this extra special podcast called Historical AF. These are your stories for y'all that y'all have sent. And enjoy. My name is Natalie. And I'm Kina. Yay. Yay. It's April. April listener stories. Woo. Woo. We got some really cool ones. I'm really excited. I say that. I haven't read them. I just I see them coming in and then I file them away and then I get excited and then I have to tell myself don't read those because you want to be surprised. So I haven't read them. Uh, so let's jump on in. Which one would you like? Who's going first? You and me. Ooh, I'll go like? first. Okay. I'm like? excited about this one. I got a little teaser of it and I was like, oh no, I need to read <laughs> it. But I have contained myself, so I'm really proud. But this That's is good. from Shelby and she says, hey y'all. Here's a somewhat spooky story for you guys. And you guys know how much I love a spooky story. So I'm really excited. Okay, here we go. My mom died suddenly and unexpectedly in 2011. (sighs) Great start. (laughs) Oh, man, I'm so sorry. My dad actually died suddenly in 2011, too. It really sucks. And I'm so sorry. And she says she was 20 and it was about three hours away at college. We are very, oh my God. So my dad died suddenly and I was three hours away at college. Oh man. Did we just become best friends? Probably. We are very close. So it had been a struggle coping with it. Even now, it is important for you to know that my mom always made a very distinct throat clearing sound. So distinct. We could be shopping in the same store separated and I could find her by that sound alone. Fast forward eight years later to the past year, 2019, I'm 28 years old now, married to my husband of five years, and we've recently had a baby in March. Like most new mothers, I don't have our mother to turn to for support and advice, and it really sucks, but I'm dealing with it. Almost immediately after getting a baby monitor and placing it in my daughter's room, I started to hear things. The first thing I heard was a knocking three to four times right next to the monitor. Okay, that's that's creepy. And then it was like someone was knocking on a table like you would a front door. And it was that hard. It scared the crap out of me. I mean, uh, yes, because it was in the middle of the night. And as far as I knew, it was just my daughter in her room. I woke my husband up, made him get out of bed and check my daughter to see if she was okay and if there was somebody in her room. Of course, there wasn't. And he blamed it on me being sleep deprived (laughs) because, you know, new mom. And I rolled over and I went to sleep. For the next five nights, I heard the same knocking around 1 a.m. On the sixth night, I heard the distinct throat clearing sound my mom used to make over the baby monitor and I froze. I hadn't heard that sound in eight years, but I knew it immediately. After five minutes of me frozen sitting up in bed, I heard it again immediately followed by my daughter's happy little coos. I got up and poked my head in her room to see her looking up and giggling as much as a three-month-old can. And about five minutes later, she fell back to sleep. Now, almost a year later, this still happens at least once a week, always around 1 a.m. And I finally decided that it's just my mom checking in on my daughter and letting me know that everything's going to be okay and that I'm doing a good job as a mom. (laughs) My heart. Sometimes you just need your mom. And I'm so lucky that mine is still here with me, even if it's on the other side. Keep doing you, boo-boos. I'll always be listening. Shelby from Austin, Texas. I'm really emotional. <laughs> That's so sweet and sad. And yeah, I'm just feeling some like I'm creeped out and all at the same time. <laughs> I can't imagine 
the feeling of just wanting your mom to be there and then just like realizing that she is. That's just so me. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Shelby, Shelby. Shelby. And also, hell yeah, Austin, you're close to me. Tejas. Man, that's a good one to start on. What do you got, Natalie? I don't know. I'm looking at them. <laughs> okay. So I guess I'll just do Eva. Okay. Let's see. When I was 19, I went to my family doctor, general practitioner, to have my first gynecologist appointment. And Dr. Vince Gilmer was my doctor. A year later, he killed his father and cut off his fingers to make it hard to identify the body. <laughs> this was Holy- near Asheville, North Carolina. Holy shit. Oh, I got short, sweet, right to the right to the gut. Right to the finger. Oh. Right to the fingers. <laughs> yeah, it is a, a link to the news. So NC Doctor gets life for killing father June 13, 2006. And a judge, I'll read at least a little bit of the beginning of it. And it says a judge sentenced a North Carolina doctor to life in prison for strangling his father, whose fingerless corpse was dumped along a rural road two years ago. So I guess 2004-ish is when this actually happened. And the jury found to be a cold-blooded killer, Circuit Judge Randy Lowe told Vince Gilmer on Monday. Like, I concur. Hmm. Uh, Gilmore, 43, of Fletcher, North Carolina, was convicted last August of first-degree murder and the death of his 60-year-old father, Dalton. Gilmore's body was found in June 2004 near a country road in the southwestern Virginia. The body had rope burns around the neck, and the fingers and thumbs had been cut off. Oh, my God. Um, Vince Gilmore said he killed his father in a rage brought on by childhood sexual abuse. And withdrawal from antidepressants. His mother, Gloria Hitt, that's her last name, (laughs) Gloria (laughs) Hitt, testified that Dalton Gilmore had a history of mental problems and and a violent outburst toward her and their children. Uh, But Commonwealth's attorney, Dennis Godfrey, said there was no evidence of trial at trial of sexual abuse. And contended that Vince Gilmore's reputation as a doctor didn't matter. Um, He's not entitled to any more mercy now than he gave his defenseless father, is what Godfrey said. Wow. Um, So I'm like, I don't know who I sympathize with or why I'm reacting. Because, like, is any of that true or was it just to get out of it? No. Gilmer acted as his own lawyer at trial and claimed jail doctors inferred with his medicine, medication, interfered with his medication, which kept him from putting on an effective defense. Okay, that sounds like bullshit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Attorneys who represented Gilmore at sentencing said they planned to appeal. Oh. And that was the end of it. Yeah, so that was it. Short and sweet. Uh, dear word, that was a lot and a short and sweet thing. Wow, that must be a startling thing to have your first gynecologist appointment and then see him on the news as a murderer. I mean, at least it was uh, like his. I hate that it's a good thing, but and at least it was his father versus like another female, a patient or something. 
and you could have been potentially a victim. At least it was something completely different way. Man. It's the only silver lining I can think of about this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sometimes there's just not a uh, silver lining. All right, so I'm just going to randomly pick something. And this is from Mandy. My mom and aunt or aunt or whatever you call it went to school with a guy named Larry Schwartz here in Annapolis who killed his adoptive parents back in the 80s. It happened in a neighborhood called Cape St. Clair, which is where my high school is. And then she also put a link. It says double slaying strikes exacting parents. That's quite the headline. When police booked Larry Schwartz on murder charges and the death of his parents last month, he emptied his pockets and handed the officers a rosary, a reminder of his parents, Robert and Kay Schwartz, and of the religion that dominated their lives. The 17-year-old son they had hoped that would be a priest was going to jail. Larry remains in jail while his lawyers debate on how he should plead. They have asked the court to allow him to be examined by psychiatrists. It is a puzzling case, both to prosecutors and the neighbors and fellow parishioners at St. Mary's Catholic Church. The Schwartzes were a devout couple. They had adopted Larry and another boy about his age because they wanted to help children who had had troubled childhoods. They ran a marriage encounter session at the church. I don't know what that means. Robert Schwartz, a computer technician, often helped his neighbors with their chores. Kay Schwartz, a high school teacher, tutored neighbor children who were having a tough time with their studies. Yet both of them were strong-willed and exacting, several friends and neighbors say, leading police to believe that Larry was reacting to what one source said was years of, quote, extreme strictness and maybe emotional abuse. Larry made 10 visits to the emergency room at Ann Arundel General Hospital in the last 6 to 10 years, according to hospital records. However, the hospital said the records revealed injuries common to normal childhood skirmishes. I don't know. I didn't go to the hospital that much for normal kids skirmishes. Quote, Bob was very stern about morality in the way he thought things should have been done, recalled family friend and fellow parishioner Richard Mayo. When anybody went against him, he reacted strongly. Every Saturday morning for three years until his death, Schwartz picketed the Annapolis Planned Parenthood Clinic. (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ, he's one of those people. Frequently, and two of them were the only picketers. Robert Schwartz's strictness toward his children showed up mostly in the dealing with Larry's brother. Neighbors said shortly after he adopted about 10 years ago, the brother started getting into trouble By the time the brother was in his early teens, his parents would punish him by locking him out of the house and making him stay in the front porch for the entire day. According to neighbors close to them, they would take care of the children. In retaliation, the boys once let out the air of the tires of the family truck, and then he would make them pump it back up with a hand pump. Oh, man. (laughs) Sorry, I'm laughing at action. (laughs) <laughs> That's really sad. Schwartz was also punished the brother who was a gifted mu- musician by refusing to allow him to play his piano. That I hate that. Like, I hate when people punish people by doing the thing that they love, like musicians and art and stuff. That just makes me sad. Um, neighbors say that both boys were unhappy. They ran away. And they said they had occasional problems with the boys, but they thought they were pretty good. On January 16th, the day the Schwartzes were killed, 
It was a Monday, the first snow day of the year. Larry, his mother, who taught English at the high school, and his sister, Anne Lee, all got out of school early. One of the neighborhood children remembers seeing Larry looking for Anne about dusk and teasing her that she was in trouble. The next morning, neighbors said they saw an ambulance outside the home, and Larry was in the front yard holding Annie. As he called her, her legs and arms wrapped around him. Inside was a brutal scene, as anybody involved in the investigation said, Robert Schwartz was found in the downstairs club room, stabbed repeatedly. Kay Schwartz was laying nude in the snow outside the club room, sliding glass doors. There were stab wounds on her body, and her head was split open. Her nightclothes were found inside the house. That's really brutal. One week later, a document filled in the county court's... Uh, said they found a detailed shoe print matching Larry's deck shoes in the snow near the mother's body. So they kind of pinpointed on him. Uh, they also found a bloody handprint on the glass doors. Because all in all, it says he rarely talked to his friends and family about his family life. Some said they didn't even know that he had a brother and sister. So they kind of chalked it up to emotional abuse. And he seems to be in jail at this time for the murder of his parents. That's a really brutal way to murder your family. It's really, it's really sad. Yeah, that's just crazy. <laughs> I guess maybe if you snap, but it seems like if his mother was like stripped and then stabbed, that seems like like an added, I don't know, like humiliation maybe. I don't know. It's really, it's really disturbing. I don't know if it's going to get better because this is from Rebecca. And it says, check out Hugo Zelensky. He killed five people in northeastern Pennsylvania. Oh, no. It took a long time to convict and prosecute him. It's also creepy because he has these um, hypnotic eyes. And if it weren't for the fact that he's a psychotic monster, he might have been considered attractive back in the day. Oh. Eh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. No, I guess too soon. I, I know ahead, but yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm good. Anyway, so the top of the news article is titled Hugo Zelensky Convicted Murder After Your Bodies Released by People Found on the Yard. Authorities have wanted to nab Hugo on murder charges ever since they searched his nor- northeastern Pennsylvania yard in 2003 and found the bodies of a missing pharmacist, the pharmacist's girlfriend, and at least three other sets of human remains. It took nearly a dozen years and one failed prosecution, but they finally got their man on Wednesday after a jury convicted the 41-year-old career criminal in the strangling deaths of pharmacist Michael Krakowski and Tammy Fassett. Uh, Solinsky already serving a long prison sentence on unrelated robbery charges Damn. So he's just all kinds of bad. Um, He now faces a potential death sentence after the jury concluded he killed the couple during a 2002 robbery and buried their bodies behind his house. He had little to say as he was let out of the courthouse. Not now, he told reporters, reporters. I always told all of you that I will talk to you when this is over, and I will do that. No questions right now. So prosecutors said Zelensky and a co-conspirator brutally beat Krakowski to compel him to reveal the locations of tens of thousands of dollars he kept at his house. Um, then used flex ties to strangle him with facet, him and Facet. Oh, no. Authorities found their decomposing bodies 
again on the property a few months later after his 2003 arrest. He escaped from prison, damn, using a rope fashioned from bed sheets and spent three days on the run before turning himself in. Why did he turn himself in? Yeah, that, mm, maybe he didn't have money or like stuff and just like, eh, better just off there. Got caught, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> didn't fight, I don't know. Okay. The jury reached its verdict after deliberating more than 11 hours over two days. It really took that long. It convicted Zelensky of eight of 10 counts, including first-degree murder and robbery, and must now decide whether to send him to death row or give him life in prison without parole. Oh, wow. The penalty phase will start Tuesday. Obviously, this was years and years ago. We're going to fast forward. In 2006, the jury acquitted him of one homicide and deadlocked on another, but convicted him of abusing the men's corpses after the verdict. That's crazy. Wow. And yeah, so then basically it stuck even more. He had pleaded guilty to running a prescription drug ring. And yeah, Krakowski from... Hunlock Creek had pleaded guilty to running a prescription drug ring that netted at least $800,000 and was about to be sentenced when he and Fawcett were reported missing in May 2002. Um, They were both 37 years old. So not everyone is so innocent. I mean, does that mean they need to get murdered? No. Wow. The defense contended Zelensky was framed by another man. Paul Weekly, who led police to the bodies in Slonsky's yard, Weekly later pleaded guilty in federal court, testified against Slonsky to avoid the death penalty, and could and could ask for a reduction of life in prison. Weekly, who met Slonsky in prison in the nineties, told jurors how he plotted with Slonsky to kill Kowski and then helped him carry out the crimes and bury the bodies. He described how he and Slinsky bound the victims and covered their eyes with duct tape. Oh. Weekly said Krakowski, who was beaten with a rolling pin, told them where to find the hidden bags of cash. He said Fassett was killed simply because she was, Krakowski uh, was with him when they showed up to the house. So she oh. was just whatever. After the killing, Zelensky stole tens of thousands more dollars that Krakowski had given to his father for safekeeping, pointing a gun at the father and threatening him. Other witnesses said, or that's what other witnesses claimed, the fifth body discovered on Zelensky property was never publicly identified. Oh, no. So they, they figured out four of the five people, but they never figured out that last one. Damn. Oh, that's a sad. Man, these are all really sad. <laughs> Great job, guys. <laughs> I mean, all these were sent before, like, all this crazy pandemic stuff. So, you know, maybe maybe next month a little little lighter. <laughs> uh, da, 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 da. Oh, there it is. No, the, there it is. Okay. <laughs> so we talked about that spooky in Charlotte. Of, was it last month? I think it was mm-hmm. last month. So... They listened and they mentioned on Instagram that they enjoyed the episode and they said they were going to send us another one. So it says, once again, thank you for sharing a little bit of Charlotte culture on your podcast. If you're interested in sharing more, I've put together a few more stories for you. So 
Why, yes, I am interested. So the first one is Firehouse Number 4. It was built in 1926, operational until 1972, and had since been added to the National Register of Historic Places. The building now stands vacant in Uptown Charlotte, North Carolina, at the corner of 5th and Graham, except for one firefighter who has refused to leave. Ooh, that's very ominous. Pruitt L. Black was on duty the night of April 1st, 1934, when a fire bell rang. Scrambling to get ready, Pruitt put on his bunker pants and headed towards the fire pole, ready to slide down to the second floor. Unfortunately, footing was missing along the way, causing Pruitt to fall headfirst down the hole and fatally fracturing his skull. Oh, my God. I didn't know that happened. Ugh. That'd be a shitty way to go if you're a firefighter. It didn't take long for his physical body to be taken to the from the firehouse, but firefighters in the house don't believe he ever really left. Pruitt was one of the few firefighters who enjoyed smoking cigars nightly, and to this day, charlatans can smell cigar smoke coming from the firehouse number four from time to time. Man, that would be really shitty if you're a firefighter. And you're like ready to go fight fires and be like a badass. And then you just like die on the pole. That's really sad. The next one. Satanic Church of Charlotte. I wonder <laughs> where this one's going. <laughs> Sometimes to find unconventional stories, you have to look to unconventional places. This story comes from the dark corners of the Charlotte section of Reddit.com. When prompted the question, quote, what are some of the Charlotte urban legends, end quote, it was clear that most natives had heard a story from one form of another of a satanic church deep in the woods off of Margaret Wallace Road. The details seem to change depending on who is telling the story. Some say that you need to find dead animal carcasses and sacrificial altars. Others say that there's a stone pathway to a pond used for ceremonies. But a common theme is that people still live on the land by the church and they don't like visitors. Multiple people report that there are some variations of no trespassing signs, some of which are riddled with bullets. And if you try to bring your car with you, that black pickup will follow you out. Every time I post a story on Instagram, someone comments about their own personal experience every single time. Um, I'm going to pass on a satanic church experience. Yeah. Give, give me your ghosts and your aliens. I don't, I don't, I don't do demons. I just don't. Charlotte rocks. <laughs> What'd you say? But you can tell us about them. Yeah, you can tell us about them. I'm just, mm, nope. Pass, pass, pass. I don't want to push things. Mm-mm. I don't want to push I don't, I don't want to tempt that. Not welcoming that in my life. No, thanks. The Charlotte Rock City. There's an urban legend that the Kiss song Detroit Rock City is actually inspired by the death of a fan who was in a fatal car accident on the way to a Kiss concert that took place in Charlotte. This was later confirmed in the book, quote, shouted out loud, the story of Kiss's destroyer in the making of an American icon. I did not know that. And then finally, the lonely local. Alexander Michaels has been a fourth ward bar and eatery for 30 years. The house itself has been around much longer than that, so it's no surprise that it has a resident ghost. Servers and patrons have reported seeing a ghost in the back corner booth that is made to only sit one person. While the origin of the ghost is unknown, no one has died in the house, according to the owners. Servers say that if you walk by and the seat is vacant, you can feel someone grab you or whisper your name. 
This causes a problem because not too many people request to sit in a booth by themselves in a corner. <laughs> Regulars at Alexander Michaels now refer to this ghost as the lonely local. And it says, stay spooky. We will. Don't worry. It was like, that's the uh, least. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to hard pass on a ghost grabbing me. Mm-mm. No. Um, Mm-mm. Don't touch me. I don't even like the dark. Like, lights <laughs> on. Yeah. Uh, I just don't like the thought of, like, being in a restaurant and thinking somebody's next to you in a corner or something and then, like, look over and there's nobody there. Nope. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Mm. Um, next up, Frankie sent some fun stuff in. It's Tulsa Race Massacre. Apparently, people watching at Watchmen, like on Twitter, um, got an introduction and finally brought some history into the zeitgeist. And it's, it is interesting of how this piece of Tulsa history in Oklahoma was swept under the rug. But now they're forcing schools to make it part of the curriculum. Oh, wow. Here we go. Oklahoma leaders announced Wednesday... Um, And wait, let me see when this, okay, this came out last month, February 20th. Oh, okay. So So this is like, super recent. yeah, this was in like 2003 or anything like that. So we're forcing this into the curriculum and Oklahoma leaders announced Wednesday, the late, the state will be moving forward with embedding the story of the 1921 Tulsa race massacre into the curriculum of schools. On the last day of May in 1921, a white mob estimated at 10,000 people. Okay. Oh, my God. Just bigger than my hometown. Way, way bigger. Oh, yeah. yeah. People, <laughs> people uh, so shit ton of people descended on the Greenwood District. Then, at the time, an affluent black neighborhood in Tulsa known as Black Wall Street. Uh, these people burned it to the ground. Oh. Hundreds of African Americans were killed. Hundreds more were unaccounted for. But mm. that part of history went unmentioned for decades in classrooms across the state. The killings remained. Tulsa's dirty secret, State Senator Kevin Matthews said at a news conference. And while school districts have begun teaching about the massacre, State Superintendent Joy. Hoffmeister said in the news conference, the state's education department will be releasing a curriculum framework this April to bolster those efforts throughout the state. Uh, The framework, Hoffmeister said, will give teachers extra support and resources when teaching about the massacre. What we want to ensure is that we are teaching in a grade appropriate level those facts that have not been taught in a way they should have been taught in Oklahoma, she said. This is our history, and we should know it. Starting this fall, students from elementary through high school will learn about this event, officials said. Deborah A. Just, not sure, it's G. So, uh, <laughs> Deborah, the superintendent, superintendent of Tulsa Public Schools, which ran a pilot program teaching the material that that's about to go statewide, said it wasn't until after she got into teaching that she learned about the massacre. 
Despite being a student of the school system, she now oversees. So, like, that wasn't in her education whatsoever. She's like, what I'm deeply committed to in Tulsa Public Schools is making sure that never happens again. So, it continues on in uh, what's changed in 100 years. So, with the century mark of the harrowing event approaching, Senator James Lankford said at the news conference that the whole country will soon pause and we'll look at Tulsa and we'll ask the question, what has changed in race relations and within the hundred years? <clears throat> it's a reasonable question, he said. Teaching about what happened is a step towards progress, officials say. Tulsa Mayor G.T. Bynum said that going forward, the question is how we can use the horrible tragedy to instruct and inform and make sure that nothing like this ever happens again. This isn't something that you just read about in history books and think that's something that happened 100 years ago. It can never happen again, mm-hmm. he said at the news conference. That's exactly what people in 1921 in Tulsa probably thought, too. He said he hopes to see more Black ownership of businesses in Greenwood and in Tulsa in the future. Uh, this is an incredibly important thing for us to have moving forward in our city. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. I mean, a huge part of history being kind of erased for a long time and then for them to mandate it. That's like a, that's a, that's really big. So I applaud them for making sure it's in the <laughs> curriculum and people know. Well, I, I yeah, it's, History sucks, but we need to be honest with ourselves. Like, it is the truth that we learn from our history. Like, yeah, people did horrible things. Let's please not continue to do them. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it will get better. I sometimes have negative faith in humanity when it comes to this, just because things have repeated so many times. Uh-huh. But I, I do think within each generation, it gets maybe a little bit more positive. I don't know if it's because social media or what, or maybe because people are so sensitive these days. Maybe that's part of it. But some of those people are too sensitive, okay? A joke is a joke. That's fine. (laughs) But when something as serious as this, though, I think it's important that we be honest with our history. Like, this did happen, and it doesn't matter what you look like. You should be able to walk down the street. You should own your business. Black, white, Asian, Mexican, Native American, Whatever ethnicity yeah. you have going on. Yeah, like you said, it's like we need to know our history so we can grow from it, not repeat it. It's just, there's so much of our history that's been covered up to make people feel better or to make us look better. The only thing I disagree with this article is um, when he said... That people now would think that would never happen. And he's like, that's probably what people thought in 1921. I'm like, no, things were still happening at that time that were crazy. Maybe not to that degree, but there were still yeah. a lot of like racist shit. And like women had no rights and black people barely had rights. Mm-hmm. If, if any, like keep knocking all kinds of people down and lynching yeah. and all that shit. That's about the same time uh-huh. as the Elaine massacre was happening in Arkansas. So it was happening all over the country. It's 
<sighs> it's just that's the only thing I disagree on. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. things were pretty bad back then. Yeah. Um it's like even now with the Elaine massacre, just in the last five years they've uncovered information on that that was covered up too in Arkansas. And it's just it's uh it's really sad. Like a lot of the people I don't know. A lot of the people that got massacred in some of these states were like trying to fight in the wars and you know, were like ugh, just so sad. Makes my my empathetic heart can't take this. Well, luckily that was the last one. <laughs> yeah, that's so sad. But I have heard about Black Wall Street and I don't I don't know where I've read that, but I have read about that before. I just I don't think I was aware that it wasn't being taught, but it doesn't really surprise me that it wasn't being no, taught. No, there's too many things have been swept under the rug that Again, it, it's sad. It's tragic. There's so many things that are wrong. But we need to know about it. Yeah, We need to be honest with ourselves with how shitty people are. Yeah. So I applaud them for, I mean, it's really hard to kind of redesign your curriculum. So the amount of work that went into this to make this happen to you is pretty remarkable. Um, and I hope teachers do it in the best possible way because when they say they're going to start teaching about this in elementary school, I think that's a little terrifying just because I don't want kids to go home with nightmares thinking people yeah. are going to burn their buildings down because that happened. Yeah. Um, I mean, it definitely needs to be taught, but I just hope they did say they're going to try to do it as appropriate, age appropriate as possible. Mm-hmm. But I just, I don't know. I, I think about the kids I get, the questions I get after school. I'm like, who told you this? And usually it is another kid. Like, we'll say something super racist or terrible. And mm-hmm. um, I'm like, you should not listen to that. Or, or if it was an actual historical thing, I'm like, that happened, mm-hmm. you know, 60 years ago. Like, we are in much better, different times than now. Not perfect. But every day is a little, we're trying. People are trying. Yeah. Racism isn't a thing you're born with. It's something you're taught. And it's really, it's really sad. Kids are so innocent. They just love everybody, you know? Yeah. Hopefully. I know when I have an associate's in education and I had to teach a class, I did like a racism thing. It makes everybody so uncomfortable. But I did that song, Strange Fruit. And it's about lynching. And I I mean, I got passed, but everybody in the class is like, you can't teach that to children. But I'm like, it was like a fifth, sixth grade level or blank. They should know. I mean, history is history. But didn't really bode well with a lot of people. But like the strange fruit is like the thing swinging from the trees, the strange fruit. But it's just, you know, people mm. being lynched and stuff. And it's, uh, the song is, it's really powerful. So I was teaching with the song, but. It's uh, I think kids can handle it. Older kids, I don't know how you would teach a kindergarten class of that. That'd be yeah. I'm saying if you start middle school, like mm-hmm. I was thinking, like seventh grade mm-hmm. and up. I was thinking, like, sure, that's fine. Um, and I really, I wish I would have learned more. You know, I've mentioned yeah. before, like when we went to school, we had teachers that would say things like, "Oh, Civil War wasn't about slavery; it was about money." 
and states' rights. And, you know, older me is like, that's not true. And so I wish they would have kind of forced a different kind of education for us, like mandated. I didn't know the massacre happened until college. And so I'm assuming that's how Oklahoma felt. They didn't know about their massacre either. I know. I like to think my teachers were pretty honest, but I have to admit, I don't remember. <laughs> um, I don't. Because you're like, we, they didn't teach us. I'm like, I think they did teach us about, I remember talking about slavery and how, about my teachers being super honest about it. But I did, especially my world history teacher, she was very, she loved history. And so like, she truly went into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to remember my American government teacher. Like, I know I, think I remember him, but I don't remember lessons. Like, I was totally blocked out. My life was banned. <laughs> um, yeah. But I remember it was pretty honest. When I, when I, my his education was brushed over was Native American treatment. Yeah, I don't remember. So not slavery, but because I remember feeling pretty empathetic about all of that business, but Native American stuff was kind of brushed over. Maybe not quite as cookie cutter. Yeah. But definitely, like, I didn't know, like, the 70s thing. I don't know anything. I didn't know anything about that till like, recent to last year. Yeah. yeah. You just don't hear about that. And it's really sad, especially growing up in a state that is so predominantly – it was at one time so predominantly Native American. We had three major tribes and just, and I mean, I know we had to learn what the three major tribes were in school, but beyond knowing the three, I don't think I was ever taught anything about them. And it's, it's, uh, it's really sad, <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I know people are more offended now, but on the flip side, I'm like, people are more cognizant of aware aware of what happened so I, I think we just need to find a it's a double-edged sword yeah you gotta find a medium like we should be because it's like i know we've mentioned before it's like now i try really hard not to offend people but it's like i know in the past i have offended people but i don't think people were as offended then as they would be now so i mentioned that like a halloween costume i had in college would be so incredibly offensive today but it wasn't when i was in college and like i'm ashamed of it today like back then nobody blinked an eye so it's like i'm trying to learn from that because i know that me now knows that wasn't right <sighs> i don't know i don't have very many moments like that oh i'm sorry uh, yeah it's just i mean back then it was like oh just be a cute little geisha thing and i was like oh that's a great idea and now i'm like oh that's that's it's not great especially like you know indian costumes like no i was a mouse <laughs> uh yeah when i was a kid i was a mouse and i was like a witch four years in a row uh i was a dragon and i was cleopatra <laughs> okay. yeah. but my mom being such an empath i don't think she would let me be like she was already aware of like native american headdresses and stuff like shouldn't be worn so i can't see my i think that's also why my mom wouldn't want me to be in that so i'm like no i don't have that growing up but that's because i had such a hippie parent like <laughs> in that sense yeah um yeah all we can do is grow you know so yeah i mean as long as it's, it human race we got to continue to grow we're going to be stagnant and it's just the point where we repeat history and we just continue to hurt people so like as long as we can continue to grow hopefully 
Hopefully we can uh, not repeat history. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick and don't set people or things that contain people on fire. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Unless you're doing a Viking funeral. That is the exception. (laughs) Uh, Zeke's just keeps telling me he's going to give me a Viking funeral. And I'm like, I don't know about that. It's illegal on a couch in the backyard. I don't, I don't know. He's, I can move somewhere. Yeah. So if I disappear, that's what. Oh, no. Yeah. No, I you, I got it. You got me. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you everybody for sending us stories. We really appreciate them. Uh, it's a little dark. Really sorry about that. <laughs> dark, but lesson learned. You know, we, we need to know these things. That's what we're hearing. That's what we're doing. So much murder. Sharing the knowledge and appreciate y'all sharing with us to spread it out. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, a lot of those came from a true crime group of men. So that's probably why there was more murder than usual. But uh, whatever. Yeah. The more you know. The more you know. They say that people like true crime because it makes you feel somewhat more prepared. Like, it's a weird psychological thing. Like, you think if you hear about murder all the time, that maybe you can avoid that kind of murder? There are certain things, like, I think about The Call and, like, those movies where I learned about how to punch out a uh, tail light if you're in the truck or things <laughs> like that. I'm like, thank you for all this uh, info. God, there was an episode. Yeah, I don't think that would ever happen because I don't think I could even fit in the trunk. But <laughs> you could. Trunks are very big. That is uh, true. They can be pretty spacious, though. They are very spacious. I remember there was an episode of Oprah where they talked about that, like how to punch a certain part of the taillight so your hand can wave and like mm-hmm. what to do in certain. But when I got mugged, I remembered the Oprah episode and it was like if somebody wants your phone or whatever, just throw it and then run the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Or go after the thing, not you. And I was like, man, my mom was paranoid, but she, she followed through. I remembered <laughs> like in my 20s, like do that. But I think also, like, all those things we watched when we were kids, I always thought that, like, stop, drop, and roll was going to be a little bit more prevalent in my life. And I just... Oh, yeah. That was really... Yeah. <laughs> your danger and stop, drop, and roll. I just honestly thought that everybody was going to be kidnapped at some point and that you should know what to do. And, yeah. I mean, for the ones who do, it sucks, but oh. I just thought all of us were going to get kidnapped at some point. John Mulaney's take on that is really funny. <laughs> I love him so much. I won't go into it because I could for the next six hours, but I highly recommend watching his stand up. I know. I, I It's so funny. I'm like relating so hard to everything he was saying. And then Zeke's like, why, why are you laughing so hard? I'm like, you didn't have to do that when you were a kid. And he's like, no. I I was towards the end of that, but I do remember the phrase. Like I didn't have those pet talks. I probably had some, but not as <laughs> quite as beaten into us, but yeah, it was definitely there. We definitely had our buddy system mm-hmm. and stranger danger. Yeah. So, buddy system, y'all, don't get murdered. Punch out a tail light so you can survive if you get kidnapped. Yeah. Throw your money or phone or whatever so you can run away. Yeah. Whatever they're wanting. Just chunk it. Yeah. Stay. Easy. Get away. Just be prepared. Stop, drop, and roll. Yeah. Number one. <laughs> Stop roll. We apologize. We're getting ready for a drunk dive. So if this is derailing, I blame that. So yeah. you can join Patreon so you can watch that. Yeah, because we're about to in three, two, one. 
and we're drunk. Oh, well, thank you guys for joining us for the April listener stories. If you want to send us more listener stories, please do historicalafpod at gmail.com. Send us more happy ones, less murder, less, you know, depressing. Or murder. Happy it's ghost. fine. It's whatever. Yeah. I mean, more murder, but have some happy ghost. Does anybody have a happy ghost? That'd be cool. Send those. We didn't have the mom ghost that was like yeah. sad and happy. Yeah. yeah. There we go. More of the great. All right, guys. Thank you. Okay, bye. bye.